Well, good morning. It's my great pleasure and privilege to be here to greet you in Jesus' name this morning. I, uh, let me ask you all, before we go farther, do you feel appreciated? Do you feel like, uh, do you feel like your ministry appreciates you? Now, I know your ministers, and I can tell you, they appreciate you. But you know, we had a little experience. We went away for a week, and uh, had a couple. Of, one of the girls from church took care of our house while we were gone. And when we came back, well, she had like pranked the whole house. <laughs> and there were um, one particular thing they did. There were eyeballs everywhere. She had gone out and gotten these little, um, you know, little eyes like you put on a doll baby, and you know you shake them and the eyes move. And, and she had them this, this big and this big and this big. And they're everywhere. They're just all, everywhere you go in the house, something's looking at you. And you, you open the refrigerator and all the fruit and all the bottles and everything, they're all looking back at you. And it was just crazy. And, of course, they stuffed the boys' socks full of, you know, paper wads. And you know, I'd hear in the morning, ah, Emily! <laughs> and he broke his toes trying to put his shoe on or whatever. But then I got to look and I thought, well, all these eyes, they must have had, you know, sticky stuff on them. So you could just stick them on. Everything. And there, were, there, were, there had to be a couple hundred of them. I mean, really, they were just everywhere. Well, no, they didn't have sticky stuff on them. Every last one of them, she had taken a little piece of tape, and you know how you roll it around to make it double-sided, and, and stuck it on there. It had to take her hours. And I told Sherry, you know, this, this is like one of our daughters had done this. You know, not just one of, one of the church girls. You know, to put this much love and attention into playing a prank on somebody, you know, it actually felt pretty good. And we felt actually felt loved and appreciated by that. But that made me think, you know, what you all, you need to feel loved and appreciated by your ministry as well and by the rest of your congregation. And, you know, stop and think and remember things that the people in the church have done for you and times your ministry have called on you and, and know, you know, that you are appreciated, that, you, that you're loved by your church family. And, so, and if you don't feel that way, then go and make somebody else feel that way and that'll start the whole thing rolling around, right? And maybe you can put eyeballs all over their house. That seems to work. All right. Uh, now, I thought I really appreciated the uh, music this morning. Um, and I really appreciated the preparation for the Sunday school lesson, too. That was um, just to let you know that I, I'm appreciating you. Uh, and I thought to bring a seasonal message. But the Spirit said no. Um, and pretty strongly. So... So we have a different message. Our message title this morning is An Unsure Sound. Uh, if you turn with me to 1 Corinthians 14. And we'll start at verse 6. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you? Except I shall speak to you either by revelation, or by knowledge, or by prophesying, or by doctrine. And even things without life-giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, 
Who shall prepare himself to the battle? So likewise ye, except ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without signification. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of a voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian, and he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. Even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. Now, I want to focus on uh, verse 8 there. For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? So what does that even mean? How, how do we make an uncertain sound? And why does Paul come to this image, this image of the trumpet? Well, his, his allusion is to preparation for battle. Now, you might think, well, he's talking about tongues. Now, we don't do the tongue thing here. We have that all worked out, right? So we really don't, don't need these verses. But there's a little more going on here. He's talking about, um, okay, if I take a header out of the pulpit, I didn't have another heart attack. I just got new glasses. <laughs> and they moved my um, bifocal line, so it kind of drives me crazy. So, um, so anyway, that's, that's what's going on if I start weaving back and forth. So we have a lot of ways that we communicate with people, right? We have our voice, we have our witness, we have the things that we do, the things that we wear. Every, everything that we do that other people can see is part of a song that we play, that we're playing to call people to the battle for the Lord. Now, again, he's using this illusion. Well, Why? Why, why is that important? Now, you know, a soldier's day, prior to the 20th century, when we started doing everything by radio, everything in a soldier's day was ordered by music. All right? In the 18th century, I used to be an 18th century reenactor, and all of our day was to the beat of the drum. Okay? When you get out of bed, there's a drum call telling you it's time to get out of bed. There's a drum call when it's time to go and, and line up for assembly to get your start off your day, to get all the orders that are going to start off your day. There's a drum call for all the NCOs, all the middle management of the Army, to get together and meet. There's a, there's a song for that. There's a song to march by. There's a song to attack by. There's a, there are calls for the various steps of loading your musket. Okay, everything is done to the beat of the drum. And there's an alarm for battle. And this is what Paul is talking about. Now, the musicians, they have to memorize and be able to play these calls on demand. I need this. You know, this is what we're doing. When I was an officer, there was a drummer who would follow me all around the battlefield. He'd stick to me like glue. And I didn't have to shout an order. I would say the order to him, and he would play it on the drum. And you could hear that drum all over the battlefield. And he had to be able to play that song while he was running, while he was standing, while it was raining, while he was cold, or while he was hot, when he was exhausted, when he was afraid. He had to be able to play that song loudly and accurately anytime on demand. If the drummers aren't any good, Nobody understands the order, and nobody knows what to do. If the alarm is beat, and nobody knows what it is, 
Nobody comes. No one will man the wall. No one will line up for battle because they didn't understand what was being asked. So, yeah, we don't do tongues, but are we the musicians in God's army? What are the different ways that we speak to people? So we talk. We just have conversations. We relate to people. We go and visit them and you know, try to do things for them. We try to do good deeds for them. We preach. We teach. We have a school. We have Sunday school. And, and we show. We show people what it's like to live for God by our life. Right? That's, that's the way we feel about the whole quiet in the land thing. We can be the quiet in the land because we have such a visible witness that people should just be able to look at us and see, well, that's our song. Are we playing it? Are we playing it right? We just came back from the Creation Museum and the Ark here a little while ago, and it's amazing you know, to read some of the things, to you know, what's going on in the church in the world. And it seems like so many people are just willing to just abandon God's word and replace it with man's word. Well, are we okay? We're not, we're not doing that, are we? We wouldn't do that. But are we? How many new Mennonites were made this year? How many new Christians came into our church, maybe who weren't raised in our church to begin with? Is it going up or is it going down? If the number of God's people is decreasing, why? Are the people hearing the call to battle? Are we playing that sound loud and clear? Do we even know that there's a war going on? And if people look at us, would they know that we know? Are we making an uncertain sound? Well, how can that be? How can we make an uncertain sound? What are some of the things that maybe we should be watching out for? Well, what do people hear when they're around us? Well, they're the things that we take in, right? The things that we enjoy. Things that we read, things that we watch, things we listen to, the way we eat and drink, the places we go, the people we know, the people we associate with, that we're seen with. Isn't that a sound? Does, does that make a noise? It seems like stuff coming into us shouldn't really make a sound going out to people. But, you know, one thing that we've done as a church is we've made a decision to be visible to people, right? We've made the decision to be separate from the world in our way of dress, in the places we'll go, the things that we'll do, so people can see us. We stand out, and they look to see what we're doing. They listen. They want to hear the sound. They want to know what's going on over there. Those people look different. Why? Are they a cult? Or do they love the Lord? What does loving the Lord mean? Is that something that I want? Do we send an uncertain sound when we can converse about Star Wars or different music that's being played? Um, oh, fortunately, her name escapes me. Good. <laughs> you know, the things that we show an interest in. Politics. You know, we, we all, I'm guilty of that. I can talk about politics, you know, until you're sick. And it should be making me sick. It probably is. So when we know about these things and we show an interest in these worldly things, does that make an uncertain sound? Shouldn't I only want to talk about Jesus? Shouldn't I only want to talk about why living for Jesus is important to me? 
about the things that it has done in my life. Wouldn't that be a certain sound? One of our um, teachers, we just had um, homeschool fellowship, you know, basically a teacher conference, and one of the teachers complimented me on the, the boys that had all had to give a talk. And he said, well, I want to compliment you on the topics that the boys chose. I don't know, Joshua wanted to, to report on helicopters, and I don't know what Timothy did. They're teenagers now. They don't tell me what they do anymore. I have to ask. <laughs> but, but I said, well, what do the other students talk about? He's all sports, stuff like that. One guy gave a report on, on Dale Earnhardt Jr. and stuff like that. Well, isn't that an uncertain sound? You know, it's not, you know, that's a very worldly pursuit, you know, NASCAR. You know, I wonder if that young man knew that when Dale Jr.'s father died, he started looking for another racing team to be on because he couldn't get along with his mother. So his mother was going to be running the team since, since Dale had died. And I guess that wasn't his mother, it was his stepmother. You know, it's, it's the world, it's a mess. But so he was going to go to uh, Joe Gibbs's team. I shouldn't know all this stuff, but I do have. A, I had a prior life before I was a Mennonite. <laughs> okay, but Joe Gibbs told him, "Well, you can come race on my team, but you have to give up the beer." See, Dale Jr.'s big sponsor is Budweiser. Okay, his car is all red and it's got big Budweiser, you know, beer logos all over it. Well, he wouldn't do it. There was too much money involved. Now, does the young man know that? Does he know that? You know, he had an opportunity to go and work for certainly a man who was more spiritual than he was or than his father was, and he gave that, gave that up for money. Maybe his idolization of Dale Jr. would change a little bit if he had that piece of information. Of course, I shouldn't have that piece of information. That's like wasted brain cells that could be occupied by scripture. What about music? You know, does the music we listen to send a song? When we can, oh, I wrote it down here, Taylor Swift. Does... <laughs> If we can sing along with the latest Taylor Swift song, does that send a clear message that I love Christ? Well, I hope none of you know who Taylor Swift is. But she's a popular singer right now. And her songs are awful. But there are teenagers in our church who can sing along with her songs. It's like, what's good about this song? Did you listen to the words that you're singing? And I know you saw the video. Well, if you saw the video, you should have been done with Taylor Swift because it's all, well, what's rock and roll? Sex, drugs, and rock and roll is the way it's always been described. That's its culture. And that's what this one pastor wrote about that. He said, rock music defines a certain culture and not a type of music. Every culture has its own music, and the music always defines what the purpose and mission of that particular culture is. So what's the culture of rock music? It's immorality. Basically, it's rebellion. And so, is that what we want to do? Now, we have another problem when we put that together with Christian music. So we have Christian pop and Christian rock. So, I, I won't tell you, young people, that there isn't any, there aren't any good songs being written by the people that play that, but you won't need to know there's a contradiction there. Taking those words and putting them together with music from that culture is a contradiction. And the things that we watch and the things that we read. Now, do we take in things that challenge our minds? Or do we take in things that just let us run blank tape? Turn over to Matthew 12. Matthew 12. 
I'm sorry, verse 43. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and findeth none. And then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. And then goeth he, and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it also be unto this wicked generation. So, you know, we get home from a stressful day, or maybe we had a stressful day at home, and we just want a time to check out. Right? I just want to sit down and just, like I said, run blank tape. And, well, what do we, how do we do that? Well, maybe we'll, people who have television, watch television. That clicks everything right off. Okay? Maybe you watch a video. Maybe you'll listen to some music. Maybe you'll read a book. Well, any of these things can be not challenging. All right? And they just let you just kind of take in what's there. All right? Even books. So all I'm doing is just taking in and I'm not having to think. That's all I want to do. I just want to not think for a little while. But that's dangerous. The problem with that is that as a Christian... You're constantly under attack. The world wants you back. All right? And the world doesn't just want you to wear earrings okay, or perfume or the things that are being advertised. The world wants you to fall. The world wants you to stumble and lose your relationship with Christ. So it's constantly bombarding you with messages to change the things that you want and the things that you look at. When you let your mind just be empty, well, what or who... Are you letting in? You need to always stay alert. You know, the, the watchman doesn't just stand in one place and look in one direction. He doesn't just stare emptily. All right? When you're on a guard post, you move back and forth all around. You know, have you ever been sitting in a deer stand? And if you're like me, you wake up and, and you look around and here's a deer back behind you on the wrong side of the tree, right? He just walked right up there. You very carefully placed your stand. You know all the deer always come down here. Right there is the trail, and there stands the buck back there where you can't get around and get a shot without spooking him. You need to be able to move around to be on guard for Satan because his attacks will come from any direction and any one that you know. They can come unbidden, as thoughts in your mind. So when you think something that makes no sense to you, well, who is that? Where did that come from? And that's the reason that we need to be very careful about the things that we're letting into our minds because then we can make an unsure sound in the things that come out. Um, go back a little farther in Matthew to 12, 33 and 37, through 37. Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt, and his fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by his fruit. O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words... Thou shalt be condemned. Out of the abundance of the heart, 
the mouth speaketh. Did you ever say something and then wonder, wow, where did that come from? Well, it came from things that you put in. Okay? There, you know, people in the world make lists of words they just won't say. All right, well, this word is just too foul. I don't use that in my vocabulary. We can all have lists like that. But what about unkind things? What about teasing? What about gossip? What about angry criticism? What about anger itself? You know, is that part of the abundance of my heart? Do I need to, to tease my son to get his attention? Well, that's the way I was raised. I still do that a lot. That needs to get out of the abundance of my heart. And if that is part of the abundance of my heart, how did it get in there? Okay. My dad thought he was doing me a favor. He put it there. Right? So, you know, yeah, you tease. You know, it's fun. Yeah. No, it's mean. It's not Christ-like. You know, we've already heard one possibility, right? We let it in. That's how it got in there. We even invited it in. But another thing we have to remember, again, is that constant attack. When you're driving down the road and here's a billboard, the things coming over the radio, the political talk, the angry news reports, the, the music that you can listen to. So many things just come in that you're not paying attention to. This is my problem with Facebook. You know, I, I tell my congregation, it's like, you know, I'm not so much worried about things that you do or things that you go out and look at on purpose. If you're looking at bad things, it's going to come out. All right, sooner or later, you're going to be, you're going to have a problem with it. You're going to be guilty with it or somebody's going to see it and we're going to deal with it. It's the things that you just drive by. You know, you're looking for that post from grandma and in the meantime, there's 17 political things and 18 ads with women wearing next to nothing and you just, they don't even think you really look at them. I just, I just skim by those. But you saw them. You saw them. I mean, it's funny, you know, on the internet, there's a saying, what's seen cannot be unseen. So they know. Why don't we know? So you're taking all that in, and you don't know. It's like Jesus talked about the whitened sepulchers that people walk over and don't realize that they've been made unclean. Those things are all around you. So you have to be careful all the time of the things that you're taking in. It's more than that. You know, you're bombarded with terrible thoughts. You're bombarded with fear. Oh, I have to be afraid there's going to be a terrorist attack tomorrow. When was the last terrorist attack in South Boston? You know, or Harrisonburg, or, you know, there's a big university in Harrisonburg. We don't seem to have too much of a problem with that. But people are afraid. Fear is a sin, right? We're not trusting God if we're afraid. The things that people wear, the things that people don't wear, you just walk by. You see these things. You're bombarded with them all the time. So you just really can't escape from it. You really can't hide from it. You have to be active with what you're putting in and what you're sending out. Romans 12.2 says, Be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may pr prove what is good, acceptable, and the perfect will of God. And again in Ephesians 4.23, Paul says, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. The best way to be on guard is to be active. Pick the things that you read. Pick the things that you watch. Pick the things that you listen to. Don't just let things come in. That's the seven demons. You don't want them in there. One other way we can make an unsure sound is with anger. How do we respond to the things that happen to us 
the things around us. Well, now, Jesus showed anger, right? I mean, I don't think people watching him cleanse the temple thought, oh, that's a really calm guy, okay? But it was a righteous anger. He was angry, and the way he criticized the scribes and the Pharisees made him angry because of what they were doing to God, what they were doing to God's word. They were leading people away from God. It was urgent. It was a matter of life and death for multiple souls that these things were going on. And they had to be rebuked and rebuked sternly. He wasn't flying into a rage because somebody cut him off on I-81. In Matthew 5.22, Jesus says, But I say unto you that whosoever is angry at his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. In James 1.19, James says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. So does our anger work the righteousness of God? Again, the world is raging all around us. Angry people just seem to have become the norm. It's like nobody's just happy or peaceable anymore. The littlest thing seems to set people off. Have you ever watched when someone was complaining in a store or a restaurant and just been embarrassed for them? You know, how much do we want that not to be us? You know, returning evil for evil is what happens when we get angry, when we let our anger boil over. And actually, that makes a very sure sound, but it's not the sound of Christ. Another way we can make an unsure sound is with our discontentment. Matthew 6.24, Jesus tells us, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Well, what's discontentment? It's not being satisfied with what God has given. Complaining, desiring more, coveting. You know, it's not just, oh, I'm really glad you have that nice car. It's, I want that car, right? It's a step beyond it's not being happy for your neighbor. It's wanting what, he, what God has given him, not, not being happy that he's been blessed. Well, in 1 Corinthians 10, 9, Paul says, Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of the serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. And in the ESV, they use grumble. Neither grumble, as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Just grouching around. Not happy. Have you known people like that? I've known people in my life that were just never happy about anything. And, and to my shame, I don't think I ever did anything about that. You know, I don't think I ever found a way to, to cheer them up. So, but we claim the promises of God. So do we talk about how his gifts have satisfied us, all the things he's done for us, or do we talk about things that we desire in the world? Do we conform to the rules of the church and tell people how they protect us and how they help us with our walk or, and how they protect and edify us and build us up? Or do we rebel? Do we demand more freedom? With the whole, the whole Facebook thing, you know, I told people, you know what? If everybody says, if the church says no Facebook, I'm fine with that. Then you can have it. All right, if that's the spirit of the thing, 
then you can keep it because you're willing to use it in an edifying way. But if your answer is, well, if they get rid of Facebook, I'm leaving the church, then Facebook's got to go because it's just causing rebellion. So our spirit of the way that we take the things that God has given us is essential. So do we rebel or do we accept? Do we complain or do we brag? The only thing we should brag about is God's work, right? Do we brag about all the things that God has done? How wonderful it is to be in the church, to be safe, to be protected, to have the brotherhood, the fellowship, the love that we can share because of the things that we agree upon. Why do we have so many complaints? Well, you remember with the Hebrews, the problem they had, or we were told, was they brought along this mixed multitude. There were all these people who hadn't been raised Hebrew. They hadn't been brought up in the church, and they didn't understand the promises of God, and they didn't follow along with God. They really weren't God-fearing people. So they were causing all this trouble. Well, we still have trouble, right? We have a believer's church here. You're only here because you want to be. So why do we still have trouble? We are a mixed multitude. We came from every walk of life, from every class of life, from all over the world. So we have problems working things out. And sometimes we fail to teach. Or maybe we don't teach lovingly enough. Maybe when we're teaching of the rules of the church, well, maybe we're a little rebellious, and that rubs off. Well, if my pastor doesn't think I have to do that, then certainly I shouldn't have to do that. Right? So we have to be committed. In Philippians 2.14, Paul tells us, Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. It's hard to be a light in the world, isn't it? You know, we like for people to like us. And we certainly don't want people to turn away from us just because, just because of Christ. So we need to be strong in order to be that light. And we need to remember who has really done for us. Who gave their life for us? Who came and got us? Who did everything for us? So we can make an uncertain sound in our message. Amos 3.3 says, can two walk together except they be agreed? Are we submitted to our brothers and sisters and to our church? Are we convinced of the things that we say that we believe? Do we really believe them? Do we have a ready answer? When people ask you, why do you wear that dress? Why do you wear that thing on your head? A sin sifter, they call it in the valley. Okay? Why, why do you wear that? What does it mean? Is your answer, well, I don't know, we just do that. I've heard that. It almost brought me to tears. Why? Why do you do that? Do you not know why you do the things that you do? You have to know. You have to stand with a ready answer. Do you, can you defend all our applications of scripture? The head covering, modest dress, non-resistance, purity. Do you want to? Do you live it because you think it's really the way to live, that it's the thing that brings you closer to Christ, that it makes an example for Christ, and you want your friends to have that same joy of service that you have? You want to defend the faith. Are you willing to stand when you're challenged, 
Or do we instead apologize for our church's lack of conformity to the world? Do we apologize because our church isn't so modern? Well, you know, we're kind of we're backwards. Are we a cult? Or are we true and loving followers of Christ? Do we offend scripture? Or do we allow that other practices are okay? Do we say that, well, those churches are Christian too, so I guess it's okay that they have a gay minister, that they have a woman minister. That's, that's okay. That's just their way. Well, then why aren't there men standing up to lead the church? That's the only reason you have to have a woman minister is because men aren't doing their job. There's nothing wrong with the woman. The problem is the men are sitting in the pews when they're supposed to be leading out in their families and in the church. But that's okay. It's okay that my co-worker's divorced and remarried, that, it's, that he's his wife's third strike. What do I say to him? Am I willing to stand for the faith? 1 Corinthians 16, 13 tells us, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong, acquit yourselves as men. That's for the men. But you ladies as well, you're expected to stand for Christ. Is our message clear, strong, and convincing? Anything else other than that? Anytime you feel like you have to stop and apologize for the faith. Well, I don't understand why women shouldn't be in the pulpit. Women are great in the pulpit. That's an unsure sound. Do we make an unsure sound in our dedication? Uh, Turn over to Romans 12, if you want. And right at the beginning... You probably don't need to turn. You probably know the verse. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed unto this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind to prove what is good, acceptable, and the perfect will of God. Now, we all know what the problem is with a living sacrifice, right? It keeps crawling off the altar. How do we keep ourselves holy and acceptable to God in an unholy and fallen world? Does our life show a single-minded pursuit of Christ, or do people see us jumping off the altar and then realizing we messed up and crawling back over and over and over again? Well, in a lot of ways, that is people's life, right? That is our way. We fall. But is the altar where we want to be? That's the first thing, and people see that. People can understand that you're willingly giving up the things that you give up, doing the things that you do, following Christ. Uh, John chapter 10, verses 11 through 13, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own sheep, whose own the sheep are not, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches them and scatters the sheep. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and cares not for the sheep. Farmers all understand this. Are we employees? Are we family? Are we working for a paycheck? Or are we working because it's our farm? 
because it's our business. Because if we don't do it, nobody else will. We're chosen by God to do these things. We are, we believe, do we not, that we are family. So we should be working as family. Why does the hireling not stay and fight the wolf? Because if the wolf kills him, he's not getting another paycheck. Right? His family can cash in his life insurance and that's it. They're on their own. For us, it's more important than that. We want to do God's will, even to death. That's our heritage, right? Those are the people that we came and joined ourselves to, to be part of an Anabaptist church. Those people who sang on the way to the pyre, on the way to be burned alive. Those people who their executioners decided they had to tear their tongues out or stuff gunpowder in their mouths to shut them up on the way to be executed so that other people wouldn't be saved watching them die. Can you imagine today a bunch of people watching someone be burned alive and saying, I want to be part of that church. But that's what happened. One of the Anabaptist hunters said, for every one I kill, I make a hundred more. And that was because of those people's witness. Because even as they went to their deaths, the people around them could see that they were willing and they knew where they were going to be. They accepted and held God's promise and took him at his word. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. In Matthew 19, 23 through 30, Jesus says, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And then Peter answered and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you that ye which have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone, right, that's you, okay? Everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. But many that are first shall be last and the last shall be first. Now, can we say like Peter, we've forsaken all to follow him? Now I can say, I've left a lot behind to follow Christ. I, I can say that. People who knew me 30 years ago wouldn't recognize me today. All right, they probably wouldn't believe that it was me. But you know, it still seems like I have an awful lot of stuff. You know, I'm not exactly um, in the poorhouse. You know. Jesus hadn't made me live like a pauper. I still work a job. I still have my family. I still care for them and worry for our needs. Is that an uncertain sound? Yeah, I have friends 
who live a much simpler life than I do, Anabaptist friends and even friends outside of the church, what do I sound like to them? We can make a lot of uncertain sounds. So how do we then memorize the tunes? How do we always get it right? When people look to us for Christ, how is it that we play the right sound? How is it that we sound the alarm that people know that there is a war going on and they need to choose sides? They need to be on the right side. We'll turn over to Ephesians 1. decided to start having a young men's Bible study at our church, and I asked the boys, well, what do you want to do? You want to just have, do topics? You know, you can just ask questions, and I'll research them, and we'll come back and talk about them, or do you want to study a book? Now, now the young ladies, they all wanted topics, so I got the easy job. The boys wanted a book, and so we talked about, well, what book do you want? And it's, they wanted I don't remember what they wanted, but it led to from grace. So the deacon said, well, they need to study Ephesians first. So we've been studying Ephesians. So we took three months of every other Thursdays to get through the first chapter of Ephesians. And now we're just going to blast through it in five minutes. (laughs) So hopefully that time stood me well. Starting at the beginning, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus, to the faithful in Jesus Christ. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Can you avoid the temptations of the world? You have already been given all spiritual blessings blessings. There is no piece of equipment that you need to stand fast in the faith that you have not already been given. Paul tells you that right here. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Who's the beloved? Jesus Christ. You are already accepted into Jesus Christ. You were created. You were predestinated. All right, that just means you were made for this purpose. And what was that purpose? To serve him to be made holy in him. What does holy mean? Pure, perfect, set aside for a given purpose, the purpose that you've been made for, to serve Jesus Christ. You have everything you need to stand against the world. You are not weak. All you need is your willingness. Christ has given you everything else that you need. 
in whom we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. Abounded toward us in wisdom. Do you know the things that you need to know to stand against the lies of the devil? Yes. God has abounded towards you in wisdom. It's not just, here, you can have a little wisdom today. All right? He has abounded towards you. He has leapt forward to dump wisdom on you. All right? You will have everything you need to know when you are tempted by the devil. You may not be able to quote the chapter and the verse, but you will know what is right. You will know what is Satan's words and what is God's word. You'll know because God has given you that wisdom. Why? Because it was his good pleasure to give it to you. He wants you to be able to stand. It makes him happy. It gives him joy to see you stand, to see you be strong. Let's skip down to verse 15. Oh, well, one more thing there. He has revealed, made known unto us the mystery of his will. And you know, when you get offered a job, you think, is it God's will that I take this job? Maybe you have a chance to buy a new truck, right? Hmm, got a lift kit, diesel, yeah, Chevy, okay? So, yeah, maybe I'll buy that one. That, that's got to be God's will. That's, that's my truck, right? So that's not what we're talking about here, though. God doesn't necessarily promise you that you're going to know in a heartbeat every decision you have to make in your day-to-day life. But you know what his plan for you is. His plan for you is that you will be with him. You will survive the trials of this world and be gathered unto him. I go to heaven to make a place for you so that you will be with me. That's God's plan for you. God plans on you being in heaven with him. There is a path for you to take that will take you to his side. So down, uh, starting at verse 15, we have Paul's prayer. And we'll start at verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So again, we know. We know through the witness of the disciples, and we know through the scriptures that Jesus came for us. It's not a theory. It's the truth. It's attested to by eyewitnesses and by people who gained the same things that we have by the apostles. We know him. He's not a stranger to us like the false gods of other faiths. He has revealed his will to us in the scripture. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Again, we know and we have hope. Well, why do we have hope? The things that we know are things that we have seen. All right? So we know of Christ because we have eyewitness accounts of him. We have God's own word that he was true. And we have hope of something that we're going to get in the future. 
we're going to get the riches of heaven, of being with Christ in heaven. We have hope of that because we believe in his promise. You already belong to his kingdom. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. What have you been given? You've been given God's power. That's you, us, to usward. That's all of us. That's his church. We are made the parts of his body. And he is filled with power that could do what? We saw him heal the blind man. We saw him heal the lame man. We saw him cast out spirits, defy Satan to his face. We saw him raise people from the dead. And finally, we saw him raised from the dead. That power is in you. That power is given to you. Do you think with that kind of power that you can't turn off a Taylor Swift song? On the radio? Do you think with that kind of power that you can't kill your Facebook account? Do you think with that kind of power you can't go out in the world and talk to people and instead of complaining about the weather, praise what Jesus has done for you? With that kind of power, there is nothing that you can't do, let alone the simple things that we face here in this country, of standing for the Lord. That's the power that's in you. Shall we have a song?